0: What is the use of having developed a science well enough to make predictions if, in the end, all we're willing to do is stand around and wait for them to come true? F. Sherwood Rowland, Nobel Laureate for his work on the ozone hole. Readers of this book will discover that we are already living in the climatic future. We are already confronting dire scenarios, the melting of the polar ice, the profound degradation of the Great Barrier Reef, the displacement of people in coastal cities due to extreme weather. And yet, even though I've tried to explain the terrible outcomes that await us if we do nothing about carbon pollution, I've called this book Atmosphere of Hope. That may seem to be a strange starting position from which to argue for renewed optimism. But if we are to have real hope, we must first accept reality – we must cut through the dense and complex debates about climate that leave many feeling lost and paralysed. This book describes in plain terms our climate predicament, but it also brings news of exciting tools in the making that could help us avoid a climatic disaster. In December 2015, the nations of the world will gather in Paris to try to forge a climate treaty designed to give us a fighting chance to limit global warming to 2 degrees Celsius widely regarded as the safe upper limit if we are to avoid catastrophe. If we succeed at Paris in forging a new era of international political cooperation in the fight against a warming planet, it is possible that the next decade will astonish us with the solutions that we'll discover to safeguard our planet for our grandchildren and their grandchildren. We will quite literally create an atmosphere of hope. Let's try to understand the dimensions of the problem. Projections indicate that in 2014, we humans released a record 40 gigatons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, of which 32.2 gigatons came from the burning of fossil fuels for energy, mostly electricity and transport. Carbon dioxide is only one, albeit an important one, of over 30 known greenhouse gases. If we add together all human-related greenhouse gas emissions and express them in terms of carbon dioxide's warming potential, the figure at the end of 2009 was 49.5 gigatons of carbon dioxide equivalent, in other words, the warming potential of nearly 50 gigatons of carbon dioxide. A gigaton is a billion tonnes, a number with nine zeros after it. Even measured against the world as a whole, a gigaton of carbon dioxide is large. How large becomes clear if we consider what would be required to take four gigatons of carbon dioxide out of the air. All of the world's agriculture and forestry waste, the biomass from 100,000 square kilometres of sugarcane, would need to be turned into biochar to do that and 4 gigatons of carbon dioxide is only a tenth of our annual carbon dioxide pollution stream. Alternatively, if we planted forests over an area the size of Australia or the contiguous 48 states of the USA, assuming that we could plant an area about the size of New York State each year, we'd only reduce our carbon pollution stream annually by a similar amount, averaged over a 50-year period. No matter how you measure it, Our climate problem is now gargantuan, and it has grown at a far faster rate than almost anyone imagined it would just a decade ago. We should be focusing on reducing emissions by the gigaton. Frustratingly, the objective of the political negotiations is expressed in degrees Celsius rather than gigatons of carbon. It's widely anticipated, however, that an agreement in Paris will put the world on a carbon budget that will give us a 50-50 chance of keeping average global temperatures no more than 2 degrees Celsius warmer than they were prior to the Industrial Revolution. That would be a huge improvement over our current worst-case scenario path. And it's possible that, if we can reach agreement, the deal might be subsequently improved, perhaps by providing a five-year review of the target. It's important to understand that such an agreement on a warming limit of 2 degrees Celsius would constitute a massive international breakthrough, but it nonetheless does stake our future on the toss of a coin. We ought not contemplate a future in which we accept that there is still a significant chance that the Great Barrier Reef will die, that sea levels will rise rapidly, and that great losses in biodiversity will be inflicted all of which are likely to happen in a world 2 degrees Celsius warmer than the pre-industrial average.